Hey, senorita, really nice to meet ya. Have some tequila and This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's number one New York Times bestselling author and my favorite author. Her books have spent over five years on the bestseller list with over 15 million copies in print in 36 countries. Please welcome Jennifer Weiner. Not Weiner. I mean, I'm so embarrassed. You're my favorite author, truly. And Mm -hmm. I've been calling you Jennifer Weiner for over a decade I, I will answer to that. I will answer to much worse than that. I mean, it's, I, what I tell people is like with this last name, you can't win. Like there's, <laughs> there is no winning. Well, it's because I, it's, I always see it in print. I have all your books. And when I, my mind reads it, that's uh-huh. what I saw. And then like preparing for this interview, I watched a lot of your interviews and then saw people saying it out loud. And I was like, oh man, I've definitely <laughs> told people that my favorite author is Jennifer Weiner. And I'm like, I need to start there and apologize because it's, it's just it's not, it's not a problem at all. I mean, it's, it's like, I didn't like feel this cringe, like and know <laughs> that somewhere in the universe, someone was saying my last name wrong. Okay. I mean, I, I think sometimes like if I just like published my first book a little sooner, like I could have like taken my husband's last name, but that wasn't, it wasn't much better. And then I got divorced. So, you know, I want to talk about that. We need to get into that. Did I just see recently that you dated your husband prior? Like, please tell the story. Cause this is insane. Okay. So, um, my, my second and final husband, Bill dated, um, it was my first job out of college, his first job out of graduate school, this tiny newspaper in central Pennsylvania. So I had been working there for about a year. He came for a job interview. And as part of the interview process, like you had to go do like a tryout story. You had to take an editing task. You met with the managing editor. And and then one of the reporters got to take you out to dinner. And that was me. (laughs) I was that lucky reporter. So we go out to dinner and we're just like talking and talking and talking and we get along so well. And like, he's funny and he's making me laugh and I'm making him laugh. And it's just this like great night. And I go into the newsroom the next morning. I'm like, you have to hire this guy. And my editor's like, do you think he's a really good reporter? I'm like, I have no idea. We don't care about that. Right, exactly. But I want to date him. Yeah. So he gets hired. We go out for like two years and I'm like, we should get married. But we're both like 23. So, you know, he's like, I'm not ready. And, and I'm like, you're not going to do any better than me, pal. Okay, let me, let me. <laughs> I'm trying to help you here. It's right. not going to get better than this, but no. No. So we, we break up and then we dated again briefly in our late twenties. And again, I'm like, we should get married. And he's not ready to get married. You know, I, my career was a little more established at this point than his was. So I marry my first husband. I have my two beautiful daughters. Um, the marriage ends because we probably should have not gotten married in the first place. Cause we're much better friends than we are romantic partners and blah, blah, blah. And I have Bill's AOL email address from like a million years ago. And I email him and I write, is this still you? And he's like, yeah, yes, this is still me. Like, what do you want? And I'm like, <laughs> let's get dinner. So we go to New York. I go to New York. He, he was living there at the time and we have dinner and it's like the conversation never ended. He's like, I feel like you went away for like a long weekend and we just sort of picked up where we left off. And how long was it? Um, it was, I mean, all told, like we met in 1993 and we got married in 2016. 
Oh my God. I know. I, <laughs> That's isn't that amazing. Nice? Isn't that nice? And he never, you know, he didn't get married in the interim. Um, you know, he was obviously just waiting for me. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Obviously. Yeah. But it, it kind of worked out and it was kind of, um, it was, it was great because it, it just, it, he's a really, really wonderful stepfather. And my daughters, I, I just tell them, I mean, being, having divorced parents isn't easy. Like having two houses is not easy, even though my ex lives two blocks away from me and my daughters can just go back and forth. It's really, really nice. We tried as hard as we could to make it as easy as possible for the two of them. But, you know, they have this stepfather in their lives who just adores them both and is so great with them and so loving and supportive and just everything that you could want. And it makes me very happy. It makes me very happy that you're very happy. That's amazing. I have so much for you and I wanted to start <laughs> your career. So you graduated uh, summa cum laude from Princeton, same, mm -hmm. except not. Um, and then you started working for a newspaper. That was the beginning. Mm -hmm. That was the beginning. And I always knew I wanted to write fiction. Like that was always the dream. I took all these creative writing classes in college, but like nobody hires novelists, right? Like you don't get to graduate and have somebody say, okay, I will pay you a salary so you can go sit for a year and write your novel. I, it just doesn't happen, you know? And I went to my parents and I'm like, would either of you be interested in becoming like a patron of the arts and <laughs> for the next several years while I write my novel about your divorce and how it hurt me? And they were both like, no, we don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, newspapers, I had a professor who said like, this is the best thing you can do. You'll be writing every day. You'll learn to work with editors. You'll learn to meet deadlines. You'll see all kinds of people. You'll cover all kinds of stories. And he was right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it just grew from there. And your first novel, Good in Bed? Good in Bed. Yep. So small paper, medium-sized paper, large paper. Ended oh. up in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Inquirer, which is like the big newspaper here. Um, yeah. Got dumped by this other guy, totally different than the two men I married, different guy. Broke my heart. You know, nice Jewish boy, the one I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with at the time, although probably good that didn't happen. And then I'm like, okay, I have my story. Like, not only do I have like a broken heart and a lot of free weekends now, but I have my story and I'm going to tell a story about a girl who's a lot like me and a guy who's a lot like him. And I'm going to give the girl a happy ending. Yes. And that was what started. I love it. And I saw, um, in her shoes, which obviously mm -hmm. was a movie with Tony Collette and Cameron Diaz. Did I see that maybe Connie Shapiro may be getting a movie? Yes. Okay. So good in bed has been optioned. I know it's been optioned by Mindy Kaling's production company. Which oh is my God. Really, really hot right now. Yeah. Um, there's a screenplay that this woman named Liz Sarnoff, who's one of the writers for Barry wrote. It's yeah. fantastic. It just like nails all the beats and all of the emotion. And so now we just, you know, we wait, we wait to see like, what does the studio say? And when does Mindy have time for this? And, you know, we wait. And Would Mindy be the protagonist? Well, that is that is one of the versions that we're discussing. So Candy would obviously be a little bit older and she'd be <laughs> half Indian, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> right. A little um, twist. Yes, yeah. exactly. There's like so much potential there. And obviously the food's a little better, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's hard to find like 
a plus size woman working in Hollywood because it's this vicious circle. Like there aren't any parts. So there aren't any actresses who are like big enough names to like open a movie or anchor a TV show. And it's, it's like, you can't work in Hollywood. So the larger women don't end up there. And Mm -hmm. when there is a part, it's like, well, who do we cast? We have no one. So yeah. I hope for the best, but honestly, I try not to think about it too much because it's, it's such a recipe for getting your heart broken. And I tell this to like every younger novelist I meet, like cash that check, take yourself out to dinner, like buy yourself something fabulous, and then just get back to work on your next book, because that's the thing you can control. You cannot control what happens in Hollywood. Exactly. And it's a common theme in your writing. There's usually a woman with body image, food Mm -hmm. noise. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. My husband actually said it. I was like, I am talking to my favorite writer. And I said, "I, I only read like biographies. I love like I love watching reality TV. I like people's Mm -hmm. stories, but Mm -hmm. I was like, except Jennifer's books. Like I, that's the only fiction I read. And I was like these characters. And he's like, didn't you ever think like, maybe that's what was drawing you in? Because I struggled for 20 years with body image, uh, no self-worth, multiple eating disorders. And I feel like and this was way before I was talking about it. Cause I just kind of put it out in my book that I was kind of drawn in. Cause you always wrote a character like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe I saw myself in that and like the struggle. So I'm assuming you're drawing from reality. Yes. My, so I've been bigger my entire life and my mom was heavy and my paternal grandfather was very large. So it's like, genetically, I am not meant to be a skinny person. Like it's just not going to happen. And growing up in the eighties and the nineties was brutal. Um, there wasn't any kind of fat representation. The only women my size I ever saw were either like the before part of the before and after, Mm. or it was someone in a fat suit. It was like fat Monica on friends. Um, you know, and I remember when the Monica Lewinsky thing happened and, and she was like a normal sized woman and oh my God, were people brutal about her weight. And the message was, this is not an acceptable way to look. This is not okay. And you have to spend as much time and energy and money as you can devote to making yourself smaller. And I spent like 15 years of my life on a diet, you know, and I, I used to joke that when I published good in bed, like 12 people are going to read this and I'm going to be related to six of them. And the other six are going to be from my Weight Watchers group, right? Like they're the ones who are going to get this. But sadly, I, I think that like, I think a lot of women, no matter what their size, I think a lot of women have internalized this idea of not good enough, have to fix myself. And once you take a step back and, and, realize how much money people are making from our anxieties and lack of self-worth that can be like that for me, that was a really enlightening thing. The idea that like 
of course, Weight Watchers doesn't work because they want you to like lose that weight. You know, you have a great first month or whatever, then it slows down and then you gain it back and then you quit. And then six months later or a year later, you're like, well, I'm going to try this again because obviously it was my failing, not the program, not the fact that the program is sort of built, you know, to get you coming back. Like the, the recidivists are where they make their money the same way the gyms make their money from like, people who don't come, you know, people who pay their money every month, but just are intimidated or don't feel comfortable there or whatever it is. So it was really eye-opening and a little disheartening when I published Good in Bed and woman after woman after woman would come up to me in the signing line and be like, I felt like you were telling my story. Like, cause that's how I've always felt about myself. And I'm looking at these women and I'm going, why? Like you look great. You look amazing. Why would you have like 10 seconds of, but the truth is, I, I think all of us are infected. I think all of us that grew up with diet culture swallowed the, we took the poison and, you know, and as a mother, like, I think a lot about what am I telling my daughters? What am I showing my daughters? How do I counteract everything they're seeing in the world that tells them how they're supposed to look? Yeah. And you, we didn't have social media. So my daughter is six. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So her whole life is she's going to have social media and I will not let her struggle. Like I did, like if she has one ounce of the insecurity or, I mean, I was bulimic for 10 years, throwing up my food, trying to chase this physical ideal, which I thought thin was right. Like thin was what you were supposed to be. Cause that's all the messaging. Nobody normalizes normal bodies. And I remember when you did the wear the swimsuit, Yeah. And like how, 10 years ago, like it was, yeah. I mean, no, maybe yeah. not 10 years, but like you just put it on. And the more we see a normal body, exactly. people will feel seen yeah. and be like, oh, because yeah. I have to share this. I will never tell who it was, but I I did say this in my book. I didn't name her. I was on a plane sitting behind a Insta famous. I would say she was famous. She was on a reality show. Okay. I watched her edit. I don't even know what app she was using. She was posting it to Instagram, but it was a picture of her in a bikini. And she had this app where she could blow up her leg, her arm. And I'm telling you, Jennifer, this girl in societal stand, like thin, yeah. As she was. Yeah. And she was blowing it up and taking a little off her leg, a little off her arm. And I'm looking through the seat like, no, right. she's going to post it. Yeah. And the, a 13 year old girl is going to be sitting there and be like, mm, if I just yeah. try a little bit harder, yeah. I can yeah. look like that. But yeah. that is not what she looks like. No. And it's a two part. First of all, you're making someone feel horrible about themselves. Like they can't achieve this physical ideal that you haven't even achieved. Yeah. And secondly, this thin beautiful woman didn't feel confident enough to post her own body. I know. I know. Like it, it just, it blew my mind and she posted it and it got tens of thousands of likes. And I'm just like, that is not even reality. And that is the image that these girls, like my daughter and your daughters see as the ideal. And it's not even real. Yep. 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 It's, it's terrifying. And I think that like every picture that gets edited that way should have some kind of disclaimer. Like you're not looking, you are looking at a manipulated image, but the thing is like, there's, there's science that says we absorb what we look at much differently than what we hear or what we read. It sort of hits us in the deeper part of our brain. So even if you say, okay, 
Kim Kardashian doesn't really look like that. Okay. That is lighting. That is makeup. That is editing. That is Photoshop. Like it's, they're still seeing this picture and I don't know what we do about that other than like show them as much representation of women in real bodies as we can. And like, so my, I have a a 14 year old and she's on TikTok because of course she is. And, (laughs) you know, she, like, I was scrolling through it with her because I try to like, you know, pay attention, like let them know I'm watching. So, you know, just keep an eye on things. (laughs) It is one like weight loss ad, weight loss, success story, calorie, how to keep in, how to stay in a calorie deficit, you know, how to, how I lost a hundred. And I'm, and, no. and she's like, okay, but I can tell TikTok that I don't want to see this. Like I can post like oh. I'm interested and, you know, but you have to be so vigilant about it. And, and meanwhile, I just want to like call up the heads of the company and say, why are you giving my 14 year old diet ads? Like she yes. is a child. She's still growing. Like, come on. You were talking about the Weight Watchers, like letting 13 year olds in. Yes. Yeah. Like that. I mean, I, that makes me sick. Like, cause that's yeah. the age I think around puberty is like yeah. when your body starts changing and you're like, well, what the hell? Like yeah. this isn't good. I'm, I'm g- gaining weight for me that's when it all started for me. And if you're even introducing something like that, which is not sustainable and won't even, Mm -hmm. I struggled from 16 to 36, completely restricting, depriving everything that I was over exercising in pursuit of a physical ideal that I never found. And I know that it's not about a weight loss. I never got uh, treatment. So I say, I don't want to trigger anybody. And I say, I've been told, I say fat phobic language. It was, it's not that it's about a weight loss. It just so happens that I found my best physical body taking care of it and living healthy and and eating and not over-exercising and letting go of all the stress and cortisol, that state that I lived in for 20 years, trying to, you know, calories in versus calories out. That doesn't even work. Like healthy and and being in tune and mindful eating. It's like my body just kind of calmed down and went to where it was supposed to be. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be like that, like how I lived. It's so funny because I was reading this article yesterday about runners, about like long distance marathon runners and all of these women in their thirties and forties getting the best times of their lives, like getting faster and faster, beating times that they couldn't run when they were teenagers. And the reporter was like, okay, what is going on here? Well, the answer is when these women ran in high school and ran in college, they were weighed as part of being on a team. They had restricted diets. There was all kinds of pressure to basically keep their prepubescent bodies, you know, and they weren't, they weren't getting their periods, like super duper unhealthy, lots of injuries. They were breaking, you know, stress fractures and everything. And they all, a lot of them talked about like leaving the sport completely burnt out and miserable and saying, I will never run again. I hate this. I hate how and then 10 or 15 or 20 years down the road, being in a totally different place, eating, food that fuels them coming back to it and getting faster and stronger because now their bodies are getting what they need and are where they're supposed to be. And it, it is such an indictment of that specific culture, like all the coaches and all of the nutritionists and all of the pressure, but just an indictment of us as a world, as a whole, like 
the women who are walking around sick and suffering because they're not eating enough or they're, you know, they're running 10 miles before their day even starts. Yes. And their body is not working anymore. Your body's holding on to everything you put in because it's trying to keep you alive. And if you just honor, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, I'm hungry, but it was almost like a win. I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to save my calories till lunch. Cause it's not Mm -hmm. a meal time yet. I was 20 pounds heavier living that way. And now it's like, if I eat breakfast and I'm hungry, I have another breakfast and my body is like, cool. She's eating. And it just, goes to this like homeostasis point where it's supposed to be. And I'm not trying as hard and it doesn't need to be. I just, I mean, you couldn't pay me to take a day off. I was seven days a week and so frustrated and stressed out because I'm doing everything right. And I can't lose weight. And I happened to get this weight loss when I just was like, I calmed the F down and was like, I eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I'm satisfied and I work out three days a week. And it it happened for me at 40. Yeah. So if I knew this in my twenties and thirties, it's like, I know. see, now that is the thing, because like, you think about like, what could I have been doing with the time that I spent <laughs> yes. with the money that I spent with all of the mental energy that went into like tracking my foods and yes. tracking my macros and all <laughs> of that stuff. Like I know it, it's, it is maddening. It, it enrages me because, you know, and, and then it's like, I think about my daughters and I'm like, well, I, I don't want them growing up that way. I don't want them internalizing this. I don't want them feeling inadequate or less than or not mm-hmm. beautiful. I'm just one, you know, I'm their mom, first of all. So anything I say is immediately suspect, but yes. <laughs> I'm just, you know, like I'm just one voice and I know that when they go on Instagram and they see these, you know, beautiful edited images or they're like watching like a a reality TV show and like every single woman is like, you know, in a bikini and she's a size zero. It's like, I, I wish, I wish we could like build like a safe space for our girls, right? Where like, we just send them into like a media blackout from like 12 to 22, where all the, yeah. Can my daughter get in? (laughs) Where all they see are like, you know, normal bodies and they don't hear anything about cutting calories or or counting points or tracking meals or or any of that stuff. And, And I think that the thing you're describing, like your body getting to the place where it wants to be, and you're not in a constant state of fight or flight and stress. I I think that that's not an uncommon experience. And, you know, I think intuitive eating is fantastic. It's the way all of us should be eating. But for so many of us, it's like, like you were saying, like, well, I'm hungry, but it's not a meal time yet. And I shouldn't be snacking and shouldn't. Yep. Right. All the shouldn'ts. Like, it's not what we're taught. If yeah. we were taught calories in versus calories out. So mm-hmm. I was like, I work out seven days a week. I only eat salads. Nope. That's yeah. not it. It's like, right. just honor what your body's telling you. And it's like, we're talking about women. We're talking about daughters. I loved your um, article about JLo's Super Bowl, And um, I wrote down, you're saying men watch a three hour game of elite athletes with no body fat without feeling a twinge of self doubt. Mm-hmm. And women see goals that we failed to attain. 
Yeah. And I'm like, yes, like what men don't have this. (laughs) Men don't have this. And although, I mean, I guess I, we, we should say that there are more and more men who have body dysmorphia and who are developing disordered eating. Like it is infecting them as well, but it's, it's not, it's not the way that it is for us. And, you know, like the thing with JLo, I'm like, well, she's 50 and I'm 50 and like, don't I get to like pump the brakes at some point? Like, don't I get to say like, all right, you know what? Like I tried, I really did. I tried for all those years and now I'm just going to be chill with myself. But like, I remember my Nana being on Jenny Craig in her nineties. No. And I wish I was making that up. She never let go of it. Never let go. Never enjoyed life. She was, she had gained. (laughs) Right. It's mental. It's so mental. So like, yeah, I was anorexic in high school. I was prom queen and homecoming queen. So people were like, yay. Like I, it didn't matter what people thought. Yeah. I didn't think I was thin enough. Yeah. And, um, I wanted to talk to you too, about the JLo thing. It's not just the body. It's like ageism too. When you yeah. talked about, um, you said that you're just waiting for the finish line. You must be this hot to participate yeah. and to get on this ride. But there's a balding pot-bellied man who's been participating the whole time. Mm-hmm. Men don't get that. So women feel the pressure to look a certain way, to, you know, appear younger. And like the Golden Girls, <laughs> you're like, if Blanche is not it, I love it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so funny because so I'm getting ready to go on book tour right now. My coming out tomorrow. So my daughters are watching me get ready for book tour. Right. So of course I am like, it is inside that, what you know, your insides are what matters. The appearance that's just shallow. It shouldn't count. And and then I'm like, okay, I'll be back in four hours because I'm going to get extensions glued onto my head yep. and, and fake lashes. And yep. like, what are they? It's, it must be confusing to them. It's I like, I'm, I'm like, telling them, you know, I'm telling them one thing and showing them something else. And I think about that a lot too, that it's, it's our bodies. Yes. But it's also like the hair, the makeup, the clothes, the shoes, like, I mean, I am just about ready to give up on high heels because they hurt, you know, (laughs) like I'll wear them for a picture. Maybe (laughs) I'm not going to try to walk around all day in something that is like causing me agony. And yet, and yet, like the thing I always think about is like newscasters. Like, I don't know what you saw growing up, but like when I was growing up, there was always like this sort of balding, avuncular looking man who was you know, like the Walter Cronkite type. And there was always like the thin, pretty woman sitting beside him. And every five years, it would be a new thin, pretty woman. They would just keep replacing them. They would just keep like cycling through. And the guy, he never lost his job. It's Regis. Regis and Kathy Lee. Regis and Kelly. Yes, he stayed the same and he's fine. But we need to liven this. Yes. 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 Or like, you know, when Jane Pauley was replaced by Deborah Norville on the Today Show, you're probably too young to remember No, I know this. (laughs) Right. It was a huge scandal because like Jane Pauley was 40 and like... You know, it's at some point, at some point, and, uh, you know, I think that Helen Mirren is like one of the only women who's like doing this, but we are so used to seeing women with fake hair and filler and every piece of shapewear and, you know, lash extensions and fake tans Mm. only are 
our brains aren't reading that as fake. Our brains are reading that as like, oh, oh that's well. how she looks. Yes. I should look like that too. And even though I can like remind myself that every time I see a picture of a famous person, I'm like, that is not her hair. And that is not what she really <laughs> looks like. And that is a lot of makeup. It's yeah. like, I feel like, oh, wow. So pretty. I know. Ugh, it's, I know. It's hard. And, and I, I just, you know, I, I try to like talk honestly about like being my age and, and how it feels and what I'm doing and like, not, you know, not throwing a filter on every time and just yeah. like, see, like, cause I do think the more we see it, the more it yes. becomes normal. Yes. And that's, that's why I want to put all of our daughters in like the media hut where all they can see are like normal people and they can eat whatever they want, want. diet food. That's, um, it takes people like women being vulnerable to be the one that goes on. Like I try, I try very hard and make it a conscious effort to never wear makeup on my Instagram lives or my, uh, or a picture, a reel that I do. But I spoke at a women's retreat over the weekend. I got a spray tan. I got hair and makeup. And what I was presenting was not me, but I felt I I still have the noise. Like I, I admittedly feel most confident in my best physical body. And if that's makeup and I felt confident going and talking to these 40 women about Mm -hmm. changing their lives and finding themselves. And I, I admittedly wouldn't, if I didn't have my hair and makeup done, I would feel kind of like, are they like, why should we listen to this girl? And I hate that, but I admittedly feel my best. Like I want to present my best. And I guess that's done up a little. That's not what I look like every day. It's, it's a fine line because I think that clothing, clothing can be armor and like Mm -hmm. clothing can be creative. I like the idea that like we can make choices in how we're presenting ourselves. And I think that there's something like very authentic about saying like, this is how I feel my best. But I, I also think that like the more and more we see people who don't have the fake hair and the spray tan and the lashes and all of it. Like the more we see that, the more that is going to start feeling normal to us. Like all the guys that got to see Regis for all of those years, it's like, okay, so you get older, so you get gray hair, so you go bald, so you gain a little weight, so you get some people. And we're like, you know, every five years, it's a new 25 year old. So like, where's our Regis? Like where's our person aging in public? Yes. You're over. Like Mm -hmm. you do your little span then it's like, but he's good. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why men are conditioned that way. So that's why they can watch a football game and see these men and be like, I'm good. Like you said, reach for another nacho. Cause it's like, this is what men do, but women Mm -hmm. not so much. Yeah. And I do think it's, you know, I I joke all the time, you know, it's hashtag the patriarchy, but if we are spending all of this time and mental energy on our bodies, like they're the ones still running things, you know, it's like, let's like burn the system down and and then go get a pedicure, you know, it's just, uh, you're right. We need to just have these conversations. I do want to talk about the book, um, tomorrow, May 10th, uh, the summer place. Can you tell me a little bit about it and then where you'll be on tour? Yes. Okay. So I'd love to tell you about the summer place. There it is. I have it with me. Um, so the summer place, I, I started writing it last spring, right after my mom died. And I wanted to talk about loss, but I also wanted to just write something fun and light and romantic that was going to distract me. Cause like it was year two of COVID it, it just sort of felt never ending. And I'm like, I want to write about a wedding. 
I want to write about somebody falling in love for the first time. I want to write about like this family with all their funny hijinks and secrets and lies. And so that's where the story of the summer place came from. And it's about three generations of a family. There's a young woman who has just announced her engagement to her COVID boyfriend, the guy that she basically moved in with after three dates, because that was a thing that was happening in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, Her stepmother is looking at this and thinking, this is a bad idea. You are not ready to get married. I don't think this guy is ready to get married. You should not be doing this. But of course, does not think it is her place to say so, being the stepmother. And she is waiting for her husband, Ruby's father, to step in. But Eli, Ruby's dad, completely checked out because he believes that this terrible thing that he's done is about to be exposed in the worst way possible. And he's desperately trying to think like how he's going to tell his wife what he's done, how he's going to fix it, how he's going to get out of this trap. So he is not, he is oblivious. He is not seeing anything that goes on. And the Sarah's mother, Ruby's step-grandmother, who is hosting this wedding in her beautiful house in Cape Cod Mm -hmm. is also um, has this big secret that she's been keeping for many years that she's thinking is now going to come to light during this wedding. So everyone has secrets and there's all kinds of romance and hijinks and fun. And that was, that was the story that I wanted to tell. And I think that even though there's sort of this um, this serious underpinning, you know, I, I think there's a lot of fun and, and good times to be had with this book. Oh, I am invested already. (laughs) Comes out tomorrow, the summer place and you're touring. And I saw you're coming to Atlanta. I am. I am. (laughs) Atlanta JCC. Have you Mm -hmm. ever been to to an event there? No. Well, I've just moved uh, in August. So mm-hmm. I haven't been here very long, nine months, but no, but I, yes. I could come to an event. If you're now, well, I think that what they're going to do is actually set up like a pretend wedding reception. And oh, I love it. Great. Yes. I, I do it outdoors and it's going to be like this party and it's going to be fantastic. And you do not need to be Jewish to attend events. <laughs> I was going to ask they will let you in. They will let you in. They will okay. not even <laughs> ask you to say a prayer. It's, it's just fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm doing an actual in-person book tour, which I'm, I can't even tell you how happy that makes me after two years of just being like a face on a screen. This is the third book that I've published in this like strange, wacky time. And like, I had a book come out in May of 2020, like 10 minutes after the lockdowns and nobody knew what was going on. And suddenly the stores that like sell books like Target and Sam's Club and Walmart were not going to sell books. They were only going to sell like toilet paper and and water. Yeah, it was (laughs) was not a great time to have a new book out. And everyone was still figuring out Zoom and Mm I, I give the bookstores so much credit. They were able to pivot really quickly and figure out how to do virtual events, how to send people their signed books, how to like let the audience ask questions and stuff like that. But, um, and, and it did make it easier, like not having to travel, not having to wear pants, like all of that <laughs> stuff. Like there, there, there are some good things to be said about pandemic book tours, but I'm really looking forward to being out in the world again and seeing people's faces. I missed it. I cannot wait.
Is it like tickets for your tour dates? Yes. Okay. okay. So if you go on any of my social media channels or my website, which is jenniferweiner.com, it's mm-hmm. got the whole shebangy bang listed. And I think some of the events are ticketed, but you get like a signed book with your ticket. And some of them are just at bookstores and you can walk right in. I'm doing a virtual event. If I'm not coming to a city near you, you are welcome to come. It's barnesandnoble.com is hosting that. So anyone that's listening to this, um, the virtual event is tonight. Yes. With barnesandnoble.com, bn.com. It's the virtual launch for the summer place. I'm going to be talking about the book. I'm going to be taking questions. Um, I'm sure people are going to want to know about writing and my process and finding an agent and all those pieces. So please come ask me anything. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) I have all those questions. I will be on that. And I will be coming to see you in Atlanta. And thank you so much for your time. This was such a pleasure for me. And thank you for writing another book. Oh my God, you are so (laughs) welcome. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. Margaritas.